Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's word with you through this week's message. Have you ever wanted to do something in your life a little daring, a little, you know, on the edge, you know, like get out of bed? I'm just kidding. But, but do something, you know, talking a little bit daring, a little bit on the edge. I, I, my wife and I, we were uh, teachers at a Christian school uh, in the Northeast. We wanted to take our kids on their senior trip, uh, something that they would always remember. So we took them to West Virginia. There's a gorge there called New River Gorge. It's got these really high bluffs. And you can scale these things uh, or repel down them. And this is what we were decided to do. We decided to repel down these, um, th- these cliffs with our seniors. And we just thought that would be a memory they would never forget. And uh, so, so I was trying to be all brave and, and uh, you know, get, show, you know, the, the young people that, you know, not to be scared of, you're harnessed in, you got, you know, got all these belts and buckles and you got another rope, someone down below, and they're just kind of also kind of letting you down slowly in case you start going too fast. But the thing about it is when you go to repel, if you have been repelling, you got, you got to put your feet on the edge and then you just got to grab this rope and you just got to lean back into nothingness. That is called faith. That's called trust. That's called danger. Uh, all these things. And, and I was right at that point where I'm like having to let go and, and uh, you know, just to, to trust and, and uh, you know, trying to keep the face of the leader, you know, hey, this is fun, not a problem. You know, my heart's pounding to my pound. Because you can see, literally, I mean, just for miles, this gorge is deep, like 700 feet down this steep cliff. And um, about that time, I see this hand come up over the edge. Uh, and, and then I see this arm, and then I see this leg, and then I see the head, and it's a woman, a young woman, who had scaled up this cliff freestyle, which means no ropes, no anything, just, just freestyled up this thing, he just climbed up, you know, came, hi, and walked off. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like a t- like a total, you know, in- nincompoop. I call, growing up, we called nincompoops. You know, just I hand in my man card. I'm I'm not a man. I'm, after that, I'm like, you know, I'm off. You know, I'm I'm going down. I'm like, if she can do that, I can jump off. But I I, I like those feelings though, um, those moments in life where you feel the adrenaline rushing and you're you're living on the edge. And I think people like that too. And sometimes I think think people live through other people that live on the edge. Because they don't have enough inside of them, so they let so so they'll go to NASCAR and watch somebody run around a track for 200 miles an hour, you know, for for five hours, and and and, and hope they get wrexed, you know, and say, and and they they like that danger. They they like they like watching people, you know, do crazy things like, and will even pay money, you know, to to uh, ride to watch a guy ride, you know, a bucking bronco with one hand, you know. Woo! You know, waving everybody for eight seconds, and and, and like to see danger. We'll we'll even we'll even jump out of a perfectly good airplane, thousands of feet, you know, to the to the earth below, because we're in love with this sense of danger. Whitewater raft down a a, a five category five rapids river, or swim 150 feet underneath the water with some angry and hungry sharks and. Just, we'll just do things that are just kind of on the edge. Well, 
in, in Midwest, where I come from, here's what, here's what uh, some of the fellows do just to have fun, to live on the edge. Maybe you, you can relate to this. Yeah, it's called noodling, noodling. You stick your bare hand in a catfish's mouth and just hope he'll bite your hand. And then you can pull him out. It's what you call living on the... Do you see a guy's got his hat on? Look like he just got off work. You know, I think I'm going to catch a catfish, honey. I'll be home tonight. <laughs> Stick my arm in the mouth of a big old 300-pound catfish. I'm a man. <laughs> a bluegill scares me, I'll be honest. That's literally what they do. See, it's a, they stick their hands in a muddy river, and they stick their hands up in there, hope, you know, hope that they're going to get a catfish to bite their hand. Or perhaps, uh, perhaps, um, perhaps surfing down a 90-foot wave in Portugal. Maybe that is something. The highest waves in the world over in Portugal, 90-foot wave. Can you imagine coming down that thing? One of the guys I was watching on that video broke his back. That's all. You know, just broke his back. That's all. But um, riding, riding down the way. Did you see that guy's eyeballs when he looked back behind himself? <laughs> I mean, oh, my gosh. Danger. Living, living in danger. Living on the edge. And what do he say? He says, listen, you'll never, you'll, never know the, you'll never know the reward if you don't take the risk. And I want to just say this morning, this, this very thought, that perhaps we need to venture out a little more in the spirit. I mean, if we can... You know, be in love with watching people, being people ourselves that live in danger, living on the edge like that in the natural. How much more should we be people that live on the edge in the spirit? Wouldn't it be nice to be known as a person that lived on the edge in the spiritual dimension, basically a spiritual junkie? I want to just bring to you this morning seven prayers that I believe are dangerous prayers that you need to make. If you want to be a person that lives on the edge spiritually, these are some prayers that I encourage you to make. We talked about two of them last week. Number one, you should pray this dangerous prayer, Father, search me. The psalmist said it like this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a dangerous prayer, but it's a prayer you must make in me as well. Father, search me. Put your flashlight, your heavenly flashlight in areas of my heart that really need to be exposed to your spirit. Number two, we talked about break me. That's another dangerous prayer. Father, break me. Break my heart. For what breaks yours? Again, the psalmist in 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in their spirit. In other words, when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you begin to allow the Holy Spirit just to break you and you can sense that he's changing your heart. And there's been many moments of those in my life and perhaps yours as well where you look at and the Lord just kind of, he just kind of broke into your life and just broke you uh, in a certain area. That's a dangerous prayer. But let's move on. Number three today, here's a dangerous prayer. Father, would you stretch me? Everybody say, stretch me. In other words, God, get me out of my comfort zone. Lord, don't let me live my whole life less than my potential. We are creatures that love to be comfortable. True? I mean, you don't say, sweetheart, let's go to the store and let's see if we can find a 
uncomfortable bed or a mattress. You know, let's go to the furniture store and buy an uncomfortable recliner. Come on. We are in love with comfort, right? Am I talking? Are y'all here this morning? If y'all, am I, y'all can say amen. You can shout. You can whatever. It makes actually the servant go better if you do. If you, get, if you want your money's worth, you're going to have to help me out. But stretch, it's, it literally means to be brought beyond our limits. To be brought beyond our limits. I, I have in my hand a rubber band. And this rubber band, really, as I'm holding it, is of no use to me or to you. The only time this rubber band becomes of use is when it becomes stretched. Stretched and stretched. That's when the purpose of this, this elastic band becomes fulfilled. And our lives are no different. We are only walking in purpose. You're going to love this sermon today, I promise. <laughs> when we're being stretched. Turn your neighbor and tell him, you need to get stretched. Come on. You need to, you need to get stretched. You really do. You name me one person called the hero of faith that we read about in our scriptures, in the Holy Word, that was not stretched. Every single person you read about and go, wow, what a story, was a person that was stretched, was a person that was challenged, was a person that didn't feel like they could do what they were being asked to do. You could look at Esther and see she was being challenged, she was being stretched, being asked, and challenged by Mordecai, her uncle, go before the king, ask him to, to stay the, 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 the holocaust that's about to come upon our people. She wasn't so allowed to. It was a stretch. She had to stretch and trust God that he wouldn't kill her for going when she wasn't called. It was David who was stretched when he walks out into the battlefield and faces a nine-foot Goliath filled with armor. He was stretched only to have a rock and a sling. That's being stretched beyond your comfort zone. Or Elijah, who uh, was stretched, or Elisha being stretched by serving Elijah uh, for 10 years. Or Elijah himself going to the king and being asked, uh, by uh, telling the king, there's not going to be any more rain until I say there's not going to be any more rain. That's a big stretch. Or how about Joseph being stretched and being taken out of his family put into Potiphar's house and then rise into success and then taken out of Potiphar's house because of false accusations. Now he's in jail and all these stretching moments of his life that God was allowing to be orchestrated in order for him to rise into power. Or you could go on and find Gideon who 300 men. He could have had thousands of men to face another army of thousands of men. But God, no. God wants him to reduce his army to 300. Why? Because God loves to, be stre- to, be, to, to stretch us so in our stretching he can be glorified. And so Peter and John felt the same thing when they walked into the temple and healed the blind man. And we could talk about Sarah, old age, uh, age of 90, believing God still for, to have a child in her old age. And we could talk about Abraham who was stretched and asked by God, would you get up and would you leave your family? Would you leave your comfort zone? Would you leave your surroundings? Would you leave your country and go to a place where I will lead you? I don't, I'm not going to tell you where, but you're just going to have to trust me and follow me. Every person in the word that 
that's ever been amounted to anything of salt and value was a person that said, God, if you want to use me, here I am I. And they, he, they allowed God to stretch them. I'm here to remind you this morning, if you want to pray a dangerous prayer, you must get on your knees and say, Father, here am I. Stretch me. Stretch me to my potential. Stretch me to, to the person that you see me to be, not who I want to be, because whoever you want to be will always be less than what God's called you to be. Can you say amen? God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to set my people free. I want you to go back into Egypt. I want you to have a conversation with the most powerful man in the world called Pharaoh. Moses goes, God, I think you got the wrong person. Um, I used to be live there, yes, but I no longer live there anymore in case you didn't know. No, I know you don't live there now, but you're going back in. But, but God, I stutter. I don't really talk very good. I think you got the wrong person. No, I think I got the right person, Mr. Moses. Uh, but no, I, I, I think you probably don't. I, I, I'm not familiar with the culture anymore. I'm out of touch. I got my own family. I, I, he could have all the reasons, no doubt, not to go. And so he has this conversation. Finally, he goes, okay, God, but if I do go, I mean, who am I? I'm just a little shepherd out in the middle of no, in the wilderness. I, they're not going to listen to me. And God says to him, okay, okay, here we go. Moses, what's that in your hand? It's my rod. Take your rod and throw it down. He throws it down and it becomes a snake. And then God says what? He says, stretch out your hand and grab the snake. If I'd have been Moses at that point... The children of Israel would have always been in captivity for the rest of their lives. Sorry. I'm not getting bit by a snake for y'all. I'm sorry. I love y'all, but... But Moses thankfully stretched out his hand, grabbed the snake, and immediately becomes a rod again. And what that did for Moses was show him and teach him and reaffirm to him that if he would just stretch a little bit, that God would respond See, God responds when you stretch first. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you, guys. You have to be the first. So God's asking you, will you rise up to the moment and allow yourself to be stretched so I can do a miracle through your life? Amen. And so he said, all right then. Picks up that snake now rod again and marches into Pharaoh's court. You know the whole story, the ten plagues, leads the people out of uh, Egypt and now... They're in a tight spot, the Red Sea in front of them, two mountains on each side, and the Egyptian army coming down on their back really quick. And Moses cries out to God again, God, help me. And God says, no, you, don't need, you don't need no help. Help yourself. Why are you crying to me? Well, that's quite a response from the God who's tell, told you to go deliver the people. And what does God say? He says to him, stretch out your rod over the sea and he stretches his rod out over the sea and when he stretches his rod out it, it opens up and they go through to the other side what am I telling you I'm telling you other people's other people's deliverance depends on your choice to stretch I mean you can choose not to stretch all day long but let me tell you something, it just may be because you refuse to stretch, 
your spouse or your child or your friend or your neighbor, that you believe in God to do a miracle in their life, may not happen because you refuse to stretch. Their deliverance depends on your stretching. Every woman here that has a child has marks in their body called stretch marks. They came because what? You delivered something into the world. People's deliverance depends on your ability and your choice to stretch. And I believe the stretching must become a way of life. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Yeah. Stretching must become a way of life. Listen, you get up in the morning, and, and what, most people, what do they do? They start stretching, right? You do it even better. Oh, oh. You go to work out. What do you do? You start stretching. You start doing some stretch exercises. You know, you, you're, you're getting all warmed up because you're wanting to expand and enlarge your muscles. And there's no different in the spiritual world. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to, if you want new wine, then you're going to have to put my new wine, my spirit, into a fresh new wine skin. What's a new wine skin? It's something that is plex that's pliable. It's able to, to grow because the spirit of the Lord is always growing. It's, the spirit of the Lord is not some dormant power force in the world that just kind of lies there and doesn't do it. It's moving. The Spirit of the Lord is moving. It's challenging. It's growing. And so if God's Spirit is going to dwell inside of us, we must also, with the Spirit, move and expand as we stretched as well. Two amens. I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm telling you, I'm listening. And you know how they know when the wine's ready? They know the wine's ready when the wine skin starts leaking because it's stretched and stretched and stretched and stretched and it just can't stretch anymore and the wine's inside is still expanding and it starts cracking because it's expanded to its fullest. I think that's where God wants us all. Where you're walking, you're talking to somebody and they got some, some grape juice coming out of their lip. You know, it's just like... <laughs> Out of their veins, you know, so come, their arm is just leaking the new wine of the Spirit, <laughs> stretched to the ultimate point. Number four, what is our dangerous prayer that God wants us to make? We just to ask Him to fill us. Fill me, God. Fill me. Everybody say, fill me. Fill me. Uh, in our small group, our men's small group that I lead on Monday mornings, we were talking this past week, and have you ever thought about this? that when Adam walked in the garden with God, because God would come down in the cool of the day every day and talk with him and have conversation, that in those moments, um, Adam didn't have any, any kids. So he didn't have any problems with his kids. And he didn't have a wife, so he had no problems there. And he didn't have any bad health issues, so he had no problems there. He didn't have any neighbors, so he had no problems there. I'm just kind of wondering myself, what in the world they talk about? Because if it had been like most people today, in our day and time, Christians I'm talking about, they don't talk to God unless they got a problem. Adam didn't have any problems. And they had wonderful conversations every single day. 
I'm just throwing this out, just a thought, <laughs> that you could possibly pray to God without talking about problems. In fact, you can actually talk to God and have conversations with God and God speak to you back and communicate to you and speak to your heart, speak to you through Scripture and other people, and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a whole a complaining session all the time. I don't know, but if I were God, I, I would probably be a little ticked off from time to time because of all the complaining everybody does. Can we just, I would be like, can we just talk without all the problems going on? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had a spouse? They go, we need to talk. <laughs> well, when they say that, you know they're not going to talk about how much they probably love you and what a great job you're doing. They're, they're probably going to talk about some problems going on in the house, the kids, whatever. We need to, we need to talk. I think God is asking us to walk with him and allow him to fill us with himself. Yes, we need to talk about issues that are important to us. Yes, God's concerned about those things. Yes, that's important. But I, I truly believe there's more to our relationship with our loving Father than just talking about problems all the time. That he wants us to be filled with himself. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He tells us in Luke 3... That when Jesus was being baptized, right before he was going under the water, you know what he was doing? The Bible tells us that he was praying. He was praying. I can see it now. John the Baptist got in there in the River Jordan. He's got his hand over his nose. And Jesus is perhaps like this, standing there in the River Jordan. John the Baptist is about to put him under the water. And Jesus is... Father, I love you. Fill me with yourself. Fill me, Father. Fill me with everything you have. Fill me, fill me completely, God, till there's nothing left. Fill me through. And the Bible says he came out of the water, and the Holy Spirit, like a dove, ascended, descended and fell onto his shoulder. And then the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness. What am I saying? I'm saying it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with all of God. And God desires, desires to fill us as well. To walk. In fact, Jesus' prayer, his high priestly prayer in John 17, when he was praying for us, the church, right before he was to go to the cross, was, God, would you make them one as you and I are one? Would you, in other words, would you fill them to the same degree that I am filled with you? I, I, oh, God, I pray my prayers that they would walk through this life just filled with you. Do you ask God to fill you? I encourage you to say, God, fill me, fill me, fill me with your spirit. Totally fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Number five, a prayer that we need to make is, Lord, would you lead me? Lord, would you lead me? Everybody say, lead me. What does that mean? It means that I give up all of my rights. I give up all of my rights. Hello. That's a big prayer. I give up all of my expectations. And I give up all of my wants. I allow the Lord to take the lead, the controls. I shared this story, an illustration, several years ago 
true story that happened with my son and I when we went to a Christian camp for fathers and sons. And we were out there at this camp, and one of the exercises they wanted us to do, they broke all the fathers and sons up into groups, and so groups of 10. And so one, my, my son and I were in this group of 10, and we were at the base of this large uh, hill that kind of led up to it like a mountain. And, and so we were there, and finally the counselor showed up with a bunch of bandanas and strapped them around the boys' eyes and so they couldn't see. And, and then the leader, the counselor, said, we're going to do an exercise, young men, and it's very important that you hear what I have to say because I'm going to give you four things that you need to remember if you want to accomplish this next exercise successfully. Now, are you sons? Are you all listening? Yes, we're listening. All the blindfolded sons said. He goes, okay, four things. I'm not going to repeat them twice, just one time. So listen very carefully. Yes, we're listening. Number one, he said, young men, listen to your dads. Number two, you can always trust your dad. Number three, your dad will never leave you. Number four, always ask your dad questions. That's it. Y'all got it? Yeah, we got it. All right. Okay. Here we go. Prior to him coming there, he pulled uh, the counselor talking to the boys. He had pulled the fathers aside and he says, I want you to do everything I tell you to do. He says, I, we're going to start off and I want you to put your hand on his shoulder uh, and you're going to talk to him and walk him up this hill, up this, to this point, up this little mountain. And so we said, okay. So the counselor says, all right, boys, you ready? They said, yes. So all the fathers put their hands on their uh, son's shoulder and we begin to talk to them. And I, amongst the others, would say to my son, okay, son, uh, stop right here. You're going to take a step up. Okay, one step. Okay, good. Let's keep going forward. And I was just kind of leading him with my hand and talking to him. And we're kind of walking up this hill. It had little gullies and ravines and things like that. And, and the trees on each side and all these kind of things. And, and so, uh, so then the counselor said, um, he didn't say, he just motioned to the fathers to take our hands off of the shoulders. So I no longer had my hand on him, I was just talking to him. Okay, son, uh, stop for a second. Uh, turn right. Take three steps. All right. Uh, three steps. Good. Stop. Turn left. All right. Now take about 15 steps if you can. And he would do. And we start walking. And then after a while, he said to all of his fathers, the counselor did, he said, like this. In other words, don't talk anymore. And so now I no longer have my hand on him. And I no longer was talking to him. And he started going on his own. He just kept on walking. I'm behind him, and I'm seeing a tree in front. He's heading right for And I'm looking over here, and another boy is already off into the woods and all tangled up in a bunch of stuff. And another boy is over here about to walk off a ravine. And, you know, thankfully my son is about just to hit a tree. You know, I'm like, and uh, so... He scrapes up against this tree, you know, and bounces up, and, and then he kept walking, and he hits a, another limb, and 
and, and he makes a noise and, and, and grabs his arm and he goes and keeps walking. And there's this other pine tree had these like, sharp little things sticking out and he scraped up against him and it, it scraped his arm and, and really poked him hard and he stops and he yells at the top of his lung. He says, why aren't you talking to me? He yells at me like that in that tone of voice. And my heart broke because in that moment, my father, God, spoke to me. And I said to my son, I said, I'm not talking to you because you're not asking me questions. He remembered one of the four things. Your dad will never leave you. You can trust him. Always ask him questions. And when I said to my son, you're not asking me questions, my father said to me, and neither are you. Sometimes we blame God for things that God's never done. And actually he was doing everything in his power to try to protect you from, but you wouldn't talk. You wouldn't give him the lead. You wouldn't allow, you wouldn't even ask him questions. You just live your life at your pace, the way you want to live life, doing what you want to do. And then when you find trouble, then you cry out to the Lord. How many know that's not a relationship? If you want him to take the lead, then that means you come into second place and he takes the lead. And you listen to his voice. <coughs> and you do what he asks. And you do what he says. Sometimes he won't even speak. You can ask him a question, he won't say a thing. You know what that means? Keep on doing what you're doing. How many know the teacher is quietest during a test? <laughs> Leave me. Number six. Did we get six? Is that where we're at? Send me. Everybody say, send me. Send me. Everybody say, I can't wait to go. <laughs> Isaiah 6, verse 8. God asks Isaiah. He says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. If no one else will go, God send me, I'll go. I believe messengers change history. You're a messenger, I'm a messenger. I believe messengers alter circumstances, and I believe messengers bring clarity, and I believe messengers get this unlock cities and unlock regions and even unlock nations. God would send prophets in the Old Testament and they would literally save nations and regions and people groups. And I believe today God is asking us as individuals, as a church, to rise up and, and to become messengers. Because why? Because we've been given a message to deliver. It's called the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the Father God, you have a Father in heaven that loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. And all you have to do is Turn your life over to him, and he, you'll be his son, his daughter, and, and, and he'll live his life through you. That's called good news. It's called salvation. And everywhere you go, you, you have the opportunity to share the good news. Can, but let me just say, sometimes people get upset because they share the good news, and that person doesn't respond. But that's okay. If the person, or perhaps the person gets mad at you because you're telling them the good news, they might even... Use profane language because they're mad at you because you're sharing the message of Jesus Christ. But don't stop sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't stop trying to send the message because they're not lashing out at you. 
You're the messenger. You're lashing out at him. The, the issue is between them and God, not you. So continue to talk. Don't let anyone silence your voice. Continue to share the good news of gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, every person you run into. Remember in the school, you were in elementary school, and the teacher would go, I have a note that I need to send to the principal's office. Anybody want to take the note? Everybody's hand. Remember? <laughs> Just get out of class. Yeah, please. And she'd give you this, this hall pass and give you the note, and you'd take five hours to get to the principal's <laughs> office. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And you felt like you were like the hot dog on campus because you had a me message from the teacher to take to the principal's office. And when the teacher was coming down the hall, when she was on break and saw you out of the class, she'd say, JP, why are you not in class? And you pull out your little hall pass because I got a message for the principal. <laughs> That's why. Stick my little hall pass back in my, it was a paintbrush, a paint stick, and back in my old pocket and walk back down. Well, everybody wants to take a message. I'm telling you that in the same way that you were just an elementary kid, God's asking, who's going to take the message? And I'm here to tell you the prayer you need to be praying is, God, send me. Everybody, send me. One more time. Send me. All right, he heard you. He heard your prayer. Number seven, lastly, we'll be done. Lord, use me. Not, not, Lord, would you, would you please use JP? Would you please use that sorry guy somehow, some way? Or not, Lord, use our small group leader. Lord, would you use him? Or not, Lord, use my, 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 my grandmother, you know, or, or, or not, Lord, use the president, or not, Lord, use the representative or the senator. No, Lord, would you use, everybody say it, me. me. Lord, you, use me. I, I, I'm in the game. I want, I want your hand on my life. The question is, if you're going to be used, you have to believe that you're useful. Do you believe you're useful? Do you believe that God can use you? Do you believe that God can use you to lead your coworker to Christ? Do you believe that God can use you to heal a marriage? Do you believe that God can use you to bring hope to an addict? I'm here to tell you that no one's exempt. When you pray, God, use me, God uses you. When I was eight years old, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior at a Billy Graham crusade in Denver, Colorado. And one of my first prayers was, Lord, use me and send me. Because, because Billy Graham told me that's what I need to pray. He told me, you need to learn four things. He told us all these people that received Jesus. He said, you need to, you need to go to church. You need to read your Bible, you need to pray, and you need to tell somebody else that you just received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. I heard him. I'm like, yes, sir. And I went home that day, eight years old. Next day, got up, went to school, came home. My, my dad traveled a lot. He was always out of town. We lived in a duplex, and the next door neighbor in our duplex was a mechanic. His name was Don Freeze, and Mr. Don would come home, and from time to time, I would go over with my baseball glove and baseball, and 
I would say, Mr. Don, you want to play pitch and catch? And we'd go out in the backyard, and he'd play pitch and catch with me. He, lived, he was in his early, middle 30s, and I was an 8-year-old boy. And he became, in a sense, my adopted dad. And um, this particular day, after I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior at the age of 8 years old, the next day I got my ball and glove, told Mom, so I'm going next door to play pitch and catch with Mr. Don. She goes, all right. But that wasn't my goal. I knocked on his door, Mr. Don, you want to play pitch and catch? Oh, yeah. So we came outside. It was a beautiful day. We were throwing pitch and catch probably about three or four minutes. Finally, I said, I caught the ball, and I walked up to him. I said, Mr. Don, I didn't really want to play pitch and catch. I really want to talk to you. You want to sit down? Let's talk. And so I sat down Indian style. I said, sit down, Mr. Don. And so he sat down Indian style on the grass. And I said, Mr. Don, last night something very powerful happened in my life. He said, really? I said, yes, sir. I said, I went to a crusade, and I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. And I'm here to tell you, Mr. Don, that I, I don't know what all that means, but I know my life's changed, and I'm different. He goes, really? I said, yes, sir. And I said, I also know that I need to ask you, the same question they asked me. He said, what's that? I said, well, do you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? He goes, well, son, I don't rightfully know. I said, well, the way I see it, if you don't really rightfully know, that means you don't. And I said, I'd like to pray with you like they prayed with me last night. I'd love for you to ask Jesus in your heart. Would you like to do that, Mr. Don? He goes, yes, sir, I think I would. And right there at the age of eight years old, less than 24 hours after I received Jesus in my own heart, I led my next-door neighbor, 35-year-old Mr. Don Fries, a mechanic in Denver, Colorado, to Jesus Christ. God's not looking for it a nuclear scientist to do his work. He's just looking for you. He's just looking for you. You don't have to know much. You don't even have to know one scripture. You don't even have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to be stretched, to be led, to be used, to be broken. You just have to be willing. Would you bow your heads this morning with me right where you're at? I will ask the same question I asked Mr. Don. In a group this size, perhaps there's a, another Mr. Don in this room. Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Have you ever asked him to come into your heart and to be your God? Right here, right where you're at. With no looking, I just want to say a prayer for you. And I want to ask you to boldly lift your hand and say, JP, today I want to come to know Jesus. Right where you're at, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Because I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Yeah. See that here? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Yes. Yeah. I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my God. I want to serve him. I want to walk with him. I want to rededicate my life. 
I want to come back to him. I want to serve him. Amen. Can we just pray this prayer, all of us together out loud, and especially those that raised your hand, and perhaps you didn't raise your hand, but you know you should have. Would you pray this prayer as well with me? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And I've been my own Lord. But today I surrender my life. I ask you to come into my heart and take full control. Thank you for hearing this prayer and forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, what a great decision. A great decision. A great decision. I invite you, my friend, those that Pray that prayer, that connect card that's under your seat. Fill that out and just write there, man, I just received Jesus as my Lord. Stick it in that giving box. We want to follow up with you and just make sure you're doing okay. For everyone else this morning, we, my prayer is that we would just begin to pray dangerous prayers. Dangerous prayers. So we're going to sing a song as we close and as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to stand with us and let's just worship the Lord and let your heart be laid bare before the Lord. Can we just do that this morning? Come on, let's just love on the Lord for just a minute. Thank you, Father God. We worship you, Lord. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.